Hello, and welcome to the Doctors Washington Podcast. On this episode of The Focus, we highlight the importance of organ donation as we celebrate National Donate Life Month. Each April since 2003, Donate Life America and partnering organizations work to raise awareness about organ donation and show how organ donation can really change the lives of organ recipients. Tune in to this episode to learn more about the need for transplants of various types and how you can get involved. More than 100,000 people are waiting for organ transplants. Unfortunately, minorities are disproportionately represented, making up about 60% of those listed. This can range for people needing a new heart because of heart failure or new lungs because of advanced lung disease to people needing kidneys, livers, and other organs due to irreparable damage. These organs can change the lives of those who receive them. For example, more than 85,000 corneal or eye tissue transplants help to restore vision every year. Let's learn more about organ donation in general. Most people don't know that there are two types of organ donors. The type most people are familiar with is donating your organs after someone has passed away. And this is a deeply personal decision made by many to help the lives of others after someone you love has passed away. It's a decision that can be made before you pass away and relieves the family members from having to make the decision about organ donation in the midst of grieving. The second type of organ donation is a living donor donation. That's donating an organ while you're still alive. These are limited to organs like your kidney or liver because these are organs where you can live a normal, healthy life if you only have one kidney or only a portion of your liver without any major adverse health effects. So many may wonder what organ donations look like from the donor side and the recipient side. So let's discuss that a little bit. For the person in need of an organ, they are usually referred to a transplant center when their disease is advanced to the point that other means are ineffective in treating their condition. For example, patients with advanced kidney disease are usually referred to a transplant center for evaluation once they have 20% or less of normal kidney function. A referral to a transplant center usually involves lots of tests. I like to tell my patients this on the front end because a lot of people may not know what is involved in this process. And it can be pretty extensive. Patients are required to have a range of tests done that may include extra blood tests or imaging studies. And really the goal here is to be sure that you are medically well enough to receive a transplant. I know that statement may seem kind of counterintuitive because you may think, well, if you're well, that you wouldn't really be needing a transplant anyway. But the aim is to make sure that there isn't a condition present that would either improve without needing a transplant increase your risk of death or a poor outcome during or after a transplant if it's not addressed before you get a transplant, or make sure that you are not at risk for getting sicker from another condition or complication after a transplant. For that reason, many transplant centers request lots of information from your primary care providers and other specialists to make sure you're up to date on cancer screenings and routine health maintenance to make sure your other conditions are in check and that you're healthy enough to proceed with the transplant process. Since I mentioned all of these things, as you can see, the evaluation really can take weeks or even months to really secure all of the information necessary. And the actual visit to the transplant center can often take 
a full day or even more days of office visits with many different people from social workers to transplant surgeons to review all of the information and make sure you have everything necessary to make that final decision. Alternatively, if you are interested in doing living donor donation, you're also being evaluated at a same transplant center in your area. Anyone who's over the age of 18 can be evaluated for organ donation. Your health is also reviewed when you're interested in donating. Like Dr. Jasmine mentioned, the goal in this process is to make sure that you are healthy enough to donate. And in donating, you don't place yourself at a higher risk of needing an organ in the future. So we don't want to take one organ or part of an organ out of you only for in the next few years you to need one from someone else. So you may also have a plethora of different labs and imaging tests and all these things in order to check your health. You also meet a number of individuals in order to complete this evaluation. And this typically translates into one or more days of doctor visits and testing and all those things in order to get the information they need. The results of some of these tests may lead to additional testing. So there may be something that's brewing under the surface in your medical history that you didn't know was there. But through this process, your doctors may find out something that could lead to more tests, which isn't a bad thing. It's better to find problems earlier. The big picture is to make sure that no stone is left unturned particularly for the person who is donating the organ, because you, as the person who is donating the organ, you are healthy. And so they don't want to put you in a situation where they can make you sick in any way by allowing you to give an organ. I'll also mention that for those who want to donate organs after they pass away, a different evaluation is done after or near death to make sure your organs are suitable to be donated. You typically do not have to get an extensive evaluation beforehand for that reason. Also, it's important to know that there's no cost related to the organ donor. So this is one of those things that they've accounted for, because especially as a living donor, you are giving life to someone. There shouldn't be a cost to you in order to do that. And so you're giving a major gift. And there are programs that are set up to make sure that no living organ donor has to make any additional payments in order to do this. So receiving an organ donation is really a multidisciplinary process with lots of moving pieces. And once all of that information is collected, members of the transplant team would meet to review the information and determine if the potential organ recipient or the organ donor are appropriate to receive or donate an organ. And if a patient is approved as a transplant candidate, then they're put on a wait list for the organ that they need. Now, as you can imagine, different organs have different average wait times, and these times can vary depending on the area of the country that you're listed in. If you're in need of an organ that has longer wait times or you reside in an area where there are longer wait times, some patients are evaluated in multiple transplant centers with hopes of being listed in multiple regions to improve their odds of getting a donor match. A national system matches donors with people on the waiting list, and they use a ton of things to determine that. So that's like blood type, body size, how sick they are, the distance between the donor and the recipient, the tissue type, and the amount of time that that person's been on the waiting list. One of the things that I think is really important to highlight is race, 
income, gender, celebrity, and social status are never considered in these equations. And so similarly, if a living donor is approved to donate and their matching recipient is already waitlisted, they're usually scheduled for those surgeries during a mutually convenient time. So that's like, for example, if someone were getting a kidney transplant and you knew your donor, so maybe siblings that were donating a kidney, then that's usually at a mutually convenient time because they know that donor matches that particular recipient. But as you can see, it can really be a tedious process. And some people really wait for a long period of time to be able to get the organ that they're needing. Alternatively, if a potential organ donor or recipient isn't approved to donate or receive an organ, they are provided with the reasons for this decision. Sometimes the decision may be on hold until they have further testing done, like Dr. Kimberly mentioned before. Sometimes you find a condition that you didn't know was present in a healthy donor or even in a possible recipient that needs more investigation or evaluation before they can say for sure, yay or nay. At other times, the decision is really set in stone because it has been determined to be unsafe for the donor to proceed with donation or conversely for a recipient to be listed for a certain reason. This may be difficult to hear, but again, the goal in this process is to make sure that living donors as well as organ recipients have a safe transplantation process and that all preventable factors or treatable conditions are taken care of before the transplant to ensure that it's a safe process. Additionally, for the organ recipient, another goal is to give them the best chance at having great outcomes after transplantation. For example, the thing that you don't want to happen is if a patient is approved for a transplant, but they're too sick to receive the transplant, they're getting medications that will suppress their immune system. And you don't want someone who is already sick from other things or infections or things like that to be approved for a transplant because it could cause very bad outcomes after the fact. So there are many different situations that have to be considered and information that has to be interpreted before that decision is made. So this kind of gives a peek into why it may take so long for someone to really get the answer of yay or nay. So we've talked a lot about organ donations. What we haven't really talked about is organ donations specifically in communities of color. We know that there are a lot of ideas and a lot of stigma surrounding that. So let's kind of get into that a little bit. Any thoughts, ladies? Because I know I feel like when interacting with patients and talking about organ donations, that there's sometimes been a lot of resistance in communities of color. I can speak from a little bit of experience with that because I frequently talk to my patients about needing either dialysis or kidney transplant to help treat their advanced kidney disease. Typically, patients have lots of questions about the transplant process, which is why we really went through this in more granular detail on this episode. But specifically in minority populations, I think after they learn more about what transplantation is and what is required in it, typically they're game for it. But I think the next step in the process is really that discussion with family members or friends or colleagues to see if they're interested in potentially donating. And I think that's where the education piece may need to branch out to, because of course the patients are trying to just get well, they're trying to get healthy. 
And it's really the people that are otherwise currently healthy, as far as they're aware of, that you're trying to reach out to to see if they will be interested in donating an organ. A lot of people are scared of the requirement of procedure or really even coming in to be evaluated because, as we mentioned before, there's the possibility that in being evaluated to be a donor that we could find something that you didn't know was brewing. So some people may have some fears about that. I think that a big initiative that should be looked into is really getting the information out there and normalizing, discussing a donation of organs, tissue, blood is another situation where we need donors for all of those things, especially in a minority community. It's definitely something that could be improved on, but I think it requires a multifaceted approach. I agree with those points. I think another element of organ donation and transplantation that should probably be mentioned here as it relates to minority communities is along the same lines of the issues that we have with clinical trials and that sort of thing within the realm of oncology. We also need to, as physicians, be more willing to start these discussions and offer these things with our patients. And sometimes one element about organ transplantation has to do with your social situation. And all of that is taken into account when you're being evaluated for an organ. And so if it's thought that your social situation is too unstable for you to care for this organ and or care for yourself, then that can sometimes disqualify you from being placed on a transplant list. That creates issues, particularly in minority communities where the socioeconomic situation is not as good as in white communities. And that likely happens more frequently in those communities. So I think that's one element where we can make some significant changes by figuring out creative ways to improve the socioeconomic and the social situation within the lives of patients who have these diseases, who need transplants, to make them more likely to be eligible for a transplant. There are several programs, particularly in liver transplantation throughout the United States, particularly in larger cities, that have initiatives to outreach to minority communities specifically for that purpose, because there are ways in which these communities are more commonly disqualified from transplantation on that basis. One other thing to mention, too, as we said before, it can take a lot of tests and a lot of time and a lot of visits to be evaluated. So even before you get to the part that you're waitlisted and you know you do have follow-up exams and follow-up visits after you're listed as well, one thing to think about is that in evaluating patients or donors for different transplants, the time off of work or time away or transportation issues can also be things that hinder specifically minority communities, especially if they don't live in the location of the transplant center. That in itself can bar patients because as a physician, we can put in an order to refer a patient to have a transplant. But if they're not able to get to those visits or not able to take off work in order to get there, then that is really difficult. This is piggybacking on what Dr. Kimberly mentioned, where transplant programs really have a lot of resources available to try to help make it a little bit easier to gain access for patients that are interested in being evaluated for transplant. 
For example, some transplant centers will have specific days of the month where they will go in communities that are farther away from their transplant center to get to those rural areas that need transplant evaluations so that patients won't have to travel a long way in order to get to those visits to get evaluations done. There are lots of other things that could be considered to try to make this a more equitable process for minority patients, but it does require a lot of resources that are typically tied to those transplant programs because they just require so many people to make it run anyway that they have the extra bandwidth available for patients being evaluated. Yeah, I think that's so important to highlight. You know, we talk about individuals needing organ transplants, and I think that sometimes people feel like that's such a monumental task. And then they think about the cost, like how much is it going to cost and the fact that they wouldn't have money to be able to continue this care. So really talking about that and talking about how it specifically affects communities of color really is a much larger talk about health disparities in general. And so I think it's very, very much so needed. And I think that we could also dive into a little bit more about organ transplantations, particularly, I know, Dr. Jasmine, you being a nephrologist and the concerns for health disparities in regards to kidney transplantation and the race-based GFR measurements. So that's a whole nother realm that we can talk about. Let's dive into that just for a wee bit without getting into the weeds, because I know we can talk about that for hours in itself. But I do think that it's important that we talk about that with us being physicians of color and really having an interest in decreasing health disparities and improving health equity amongst communities of color. Related to kidney disease, I think I mentioned earlier in this episode that we do look at what we, in layman's terms, call your percent kidney function, or what it really is called is your estimated GFR or estimated glomerular filtration rate. Basically, it's a number that uses a lot of different factors, including in the old way that it was calculated, includes a race-based factor as well to determine how well your kidney is functioning. And we also use other things like your creatinine or basically how well your kidneys are filtering certain byproducts that gives us a sense of how well your kidneys are functioning. As of late, within the last year or two, the big focus has been on eliminating the race-based factor in calculating your EGFR. And why that's so important is because, like I mentioned, most transplant centers use that 20% or less of kidney function to really start the evaluation. But unfortunately, the way that the race-based factor and the GFR works is that basically for African-American patients, it can in effect make it look like your kidney function is better than someone with the same creatinine. And it would prevent you from being sent for a transplant unless your GFR falls to a lower percentage. For instance, there can be a patient with a creatinine of three and their GFR may be 18 in a non-Black patient, but in a Black patient, it could be 25. And you can see where the patient with the GFR of 18 would be referred for a transplant evaluation if it was a persistent trend, whereas the African-American patient wouldn't be because they didn't meet that minimum criteria. Also, an older patient will have a lower GFR than someone that's younger with the same creatinine. 
that also is taken into consideration. But that's where a lot of people have been focusing the discussion because it ends up introducing just by having a race-based factor there that isn't really indicative of their kidney function, how it could really play out and cause delays in other types of care, such as getting a transplant. A national initiative that's been pushed by the American Society of Nephrology is really getting at trying to remove the race-based factor in GFRs for that reason, because that's the area that most impacts minority patients. Because if your GFR isn't low enough to be referred for a transplant, then things end up sometimes smoldering until you start having symptoms that would require you to need dialysis. And it really foregoes the possibility that you could get a transplant before even needing dialysis. In the grand scheme of things, it's less common than deceased donor transplants, but we also know that patients that get living donor transplants end up having better outcomes, but the supply of donors is too low. So it's multiple layers to this. And it's also known that, unfortunately, a lot of African-American patients don't match some of the deceased donors that are out there. So their wait times are so much longer to get an organ that even matches. So like I said, we can go on and on about this, but it's a lot of layers to the issue. And I think the first step that is being addressed is that a lot of people are dropping that race-based factor. So regardless, everybody has the same calculation of what their GFR is, regardless of their race. A lot of people subscribe to the fact that race is a social construct. So how can you look at someone and tell they're African-American? Well, who does that consist of? Is that African-Americans in the U.S.? Does that include Africans from African nations? Does that include Black Caribbeans or even Black Hispanics? So it can kind of get into the weeds there very quickly, but it's something that I think is going to end up helping to improve the outcomes of patients that I see. Yeah, see, I told you we could talk about that like for a whole nother hour, but we'll table that. I'm sure we'll have more talks about it in the future. That has been just the general overview of organ transplantation in this country. There are more than 170 million people listed as organ donors currently, but more are needed to address the organ shortage in different conditions. Another person is added to the nation's organ transplant waiting list every nine minutes. It has been said that one organ donor can save the lives of up to eight people and improve the lives of up to 75 people. More than 2.5 million organ and tissue transplants are performed each year, offering patients a new chance at healthy lives. To learn more about organ donation, visit DonateLife.net. If you're interested in registering to be an organ, eye, or tissue donor, visit RegisterMe.org. Thank you for listening to this episode. Make sure you like, share, and repost on your favorite platform. And don't forget to rate us and subscribe to our podcast on your preferred streaming app. Make sure you check out our new content that's released each week on Wednesdays. Until next time. The music on the Doctors Washington podcast is by artist Mike Burton. He's a Jackson, Mississippi native on his album, Soulful, and the track is entitled All Right. It is available on iTunes. I believe that it's going to be.